They only have the same Mother's Day video that y'all been laughing at for three weeks, so we're not going to show that one again uh, while they're doing that. But although some of you, that's your life, we know that. Go ahead while the ushers are finishing up and pull out of your worship folders your sermon notes. We've been talking about how to live through a bad day. Anybody ever had a bad day, right? Some of y'all had a bad day today. And, uh, and so um, some of you went in stores with no umbrella. and It was raining when you left. And uh, so I've done that so many times. And smart store owners put umbrellas by the front door. Because when you're stuck in there and it's raining, you'll buy one, right? And uh, so anyway, uh, we're talking about how to have a bad day. And, and our scripture has been Hebrews 12 too. This whole thing has, uh, we've talked about. He said, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. And that's what we're doing. We're studying how Jesus overcame bad days. And, and we've been looking at the sayings he said on the cross and, uh, and so the week one, we talked about forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life, right? Everybody remember that? Because Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And, uh, and you know, and I confess to you that if I'd been the one getting nailed on a cross and I had the ability to call 10,000 angels down to kill them, I probably would have done it, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, but, but Jesus stood firm. And he said, Father, forgive them. Week two, we talked about help other people who are experiencing your same uh, struggle because what's, what does God do? So often we're struggling with something and we get help and get through it and then all of a sudden somebody comes alongside us that's struggling with the same thing we've been struggling with and we can help them. Week three, we talked about your, when you're going through a bad day, take care of those who are near you. And you remember Jesus noticed his mother. In that day and age, Jesus would have been the breadwinner for his family because he's the oldest son. Joseph probably died when he was 13. He had younger brothers and younger sisters. And so Jesus was looking at his mom and his younger brothers and sisters. James and none of them were believers at that time. They thought Jesus was crazy. Remember the scripture where it says, Jesus, Lord, your, your family's outside. They've come to take you away. And, uh, and they were because they thought he was insane. He was losing it. And that's when he said, who are my, bro my brothers and my sisters? And so, uh, so they weren't there. And so he looks at John and said, hey, behold your mother. Take care of my mama. And he said, mom, I can't be your son anymore, so here's your son, John. I've got to go pay for Robert Story's sins. And, uh, and, and so, you know, he went and did that. And, and so then uh, last week we looked at, or the week four we looked at, aim your hard questions at God, not at man. Because God's got big enough shoulders. If you ask him the questions and listen, he'll speak to you. He's a lot smarter than me. You can ask me, but God's a lot smarter than me. And God will speak to you. Last week we looked at uh, be human enough to acknowledge your need. We need to acknowledge our need. Even Jesus, when he was on the cross and he was thirsty, he needed them to give him something to drink. And he needed help with that. He acknowledged that he had a need. And then he had to... He had to be ready to say the saying we're looking at tonight when he said, it is finished. It is finished. And so let's look at that. Look at uh, lesson six, John 19, 20. It said, when Jesus had tasted what the vinegar that they sent up there, he said, it's finished. Now, what was finished? Everything that was needed to pay for your sins and my sins was done right then. Was done. And uh, so it was finished. He said, then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I want to tell you, 
Jesus didn't die. It says he gave up his spirit. He gave it up. And, uh, and so they didn't kill him. He offered his life, and he gave it for you and me. So, uh, you know, he was able to finish what he came to do. So write this down, lesson six. Be assured there's a purpose and an end, a purpose and an end to the difficult day you're going through. There's a reason that we go through pain. Jesus learned through suffering, and we're going to learn through suffering. So, but no struggle should ever be pointless, and no suffering should ever again be unending. There's a purpose and an end to it. And so uh, we don't want you to leave here today uh, not knowing that. You're not going to know all the answers when you leave, but we want you to leave with an assurance that there's a purpose for our struggles. There's a, Jesus is always using those to mold us to become more and more like him. And uh, so we're going to look at Job. How many of you have ever read the book of Job? You know what I find crazy? Is when we are depressed, people want to read the book of Job. I, I've never figured that out. I mean, it's like 40-something chapters of grief. And, uh, and so, but we're going to look at Job. He, he had some bad days. And, uh, and so, um, oh, i got to tell you a joke real quick, though, before we look at Job. It's not really a Boudreaux joke, but it's a Cajun joke. You know, Adam and Eve, you know, what got them in trouble? They ate that apple, right? You know, they ate that fruit. But if it had been Cajun, we'd have never had a problem. We'd still be in the garden eating, everything had been okay. Because they'd have killed and eaten a snake, and they would have left the apple alone, all right? So just so you know, all right? That's good eating, you're right. All right, let's look at Job. I mean, Job was a wealthy guy. He's cruising through life. And, and then he lost everything but his wife. And his wife, what did she say was her famous line? Curse God and die. How many of you guys, that's what you want to hear from your wife, right? I mean, just Job, curse God and die. And so in between, uh, you know, uh, some chapters, you've got the beginning and you've got the end where God speaks and sets things right. You've basically got 35 chapters of Job whining and complaining. And, uh, and so that's why I say, why do we read that when we're dep depressed? But you can summarize all his complaints up in this one verse in Job 30, 20. He said, I call to you, O God, but you never answer. Anybody ever felt that way? Anybody ever felt like, Lord, I'm calling to you? I know you have. I've felt that way. And, and when I pray, you pay no attention. Sometimes it seems like, God, where are you? And that's where Job was. And he basically says that prayer for 36 chapters in the book of Job. Job 38, 1 through 5, it said, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Who is this that darkens my counsel without words of not, with words without knowledge? That's not what you want to hear God answer you with. He's saying, God, you're paying no attention. And when God does pay attention, he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And then he says something you never want to hear God say to you. Brace yourself like a man. I, I mean, you know, that's not what you want to hear God. It's like when God told Elijah, get out of this cave and go stand in front of the mountain and face me. You know, it's like, okay, brace yourself like a man. He said, I will question you and you'll answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? And he's asking Job these questions. And then in verse uh, 18... It picks up, have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to 
the abode of light? Where does the darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwelling? Surely you know, for you were already born. You've lived for so many years. I mean, if you read, I want you when you read scripture, sometimes you've got to hear the sarcasm. And there's some sarcasm in what God's telling them here. And so Job gets to that place, uh, you know, that uh, we all come to one way or another. We all get to the place where we realize we don't know anything and God knows it all. All right? And the sooner we get to that place, the better off we're going to be. But then uh, in, in chapter 40, Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. In other words, I'm just going to be quiet now, and I'm going to listen for a while, God, which is what Job probably should have done to start with. Because if you remember, this all started when God told the devil, said, look, have you seen Job? Man, he's, he loves me. He obeys me. And the devil said, hey, if you take everything away from him, he won't. But Job stayed faithful, even though he whined. You know, and I want you to, to see, even though we're not studying that, the devil was in line with all the other angels having to give an account to God. Let me tell you, our battle is not a battle that is in any way at risk. God wins. God wins. The devil has no chance of winning. God wins. He's a defeated angel, and God's just given him a little bit of freedom. And before he could mess with Job, he had to go ask God's permission. And before he messes with you... He's got to ask God's permission, and God will only let him go so far. Why? Because God wants everything that happens in your life to bring you closer to him, to make you more and more like him. And so it said, Job answered, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. And we get to that place. And then there's, in, in verses uh, 40, chapter 42, 1 through 5, he continues, And Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. I mean, no plan that God has can be stopped. He said, you ask, what is, the, what is that that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Who is that? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. He said, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. So Job is saying, you know, I've, I've always known about you, now I know you. And, uh, and so in this little, these little verses, 1 through 5 here, he gives us some attributes of God I want to sh- talk about with you tonight. The three attributes of God are this. Write this down. One, the first is God is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. Write that down. All-powerful. I mean, he, there's, there's no limit to his power. Satan is very limited. We're very limited. God is not limited. You know, uh, God spoke, and the world was created. And, uh, and so when, you know, I mean, he just, with words, he didn't have to work hard at it. Just let there be light. There was light, you know, and, uh, and all that. There's, a, there's a, a theological word we use for that, and you can write this down. I, I don't know if I put a blank on your outline for it or not. I think I did. And, and it's the word omnipotent. God is omnipotent. Omni is all and potent is not smelly, it's powerful, okay? Sometimes, you know, guys, we may go home and our wives say, man, you're kind of potent. No, we stink, but God is powerful, all-powerful. And so, so if God's all-powerful, why didn't he do something for us sometimes? Well, in Colossians, Paul said this, For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, 
Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. So Jesus is the start of everything, and he's where we find our purpose. He was there before any of it came into existence. And look at this. Jesus is the one that holds it all together. Jesus is the one that holds it all together. This stuff isn't going by itself. Without Jesus, if he removes his hand, it all falls apart. I mean, he holds everything together. And, and it's a miraculous thing. It's something that's far too uh, miraculous for probably us to understand. But, you know, so you learn when you go through a hard day that Jesus is in control and he can do that. Now, I, you know, we've seen miracles. I, you know, Pastor Kathy and I were... We were up in ICU praying for Susan's mom one time, and, and there was a guy she wanted Kathy to go pray for. And, and uh, so we went and prayed for this guy. He had been in a coma. The family was wanting him to turn off the, the machine. And, and we went and prayed, and later that night, he was sitting up in bed blowing kisses at his niece. And, uh, and, and he woke up. Instead of taking him off the machine, he got to ride out in a wheelchair, you know. And, and so we've seen miraculous things. We've On mission trips, we've seen miraculous things on, in, on, on mission trips and stuff. And, and so we've seen, uh, you know, people who, who were crippled be able to walk. Uh, we've, we've seen that here. And so, you know, listen, people say Christians are just people that have blind faith and don't look at reality. You know, listen, I got a question for you. you can, oh, here's something you can reply with. When somebody says, oh, you've just got blind faith to believe in Jesus. And so would you rather me believe in you? I don't think so. I'd rather believe in an all-powerful God than a limited, powerful Robert or anybody else. And, uh, and so uh, I, that's where I'm going to put my hope. Second thing I want you to write down, not only is God all-powerful, God is all-knowing. He knows everything. I didn't include it, but there's a verse where he says, He knows your thoughts before you think them. Now, that ought to scare some of y'all. scares me all the time. And, uh, and so... The, the theological word for this is omniscient, omniscient, and, uh, and so, but it just means God's all-knowing, and, uh, and so, um, you know, he knows the beginning and the end. Somebody one time said, we look at life like it's a timeline, say, so if this is the beginning, and then our life goes to right here, and then eternity keeps going out. When God looks at that timeline, he sees a dot. Because he sees the beginning, the end, and in the middle all at the same time. We look out this way, and we can't see the end. But God sees it. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about children, y'all need to listen to your parents because we see further than y'all do. We've been there. We've been down the road a little bit. And God sees the end and the beginning. Look what it says in, uh, in Hebrews 4.13. He knows about everyone everywhere. Now think about that. God knows about everyone everywhere. Everything about us is, in, is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of the living God. Even those little things you hope nobody ever sees or nobody ever finds out, God sees them because he knows your thoughts before you think them, and he, nothing can be hidden from him. And look at this, to whom we must explain all that we have done. Let me just tell you, you do realize... <laughs> that we're going to have to explain to him what we did. <laughs> we're going to have to explain it, you know. And, um, you know, sometimes we think, well, I would do things differently than the way God does, you know. I mean, my dad's been dead for 23 years. I would have certainly 
not let him die as young as he did, you know, but God did. Maybe God was protecting him from something that would have been harmful to him or, or to us as a family. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, here's what I've got to get to. And I've gotten to this place um, that even though I might do things differently in life with different things and different situations, I know that God is in charge and that, that God knows the beginning from the end and I'm okay with that and I don't. In other words, uh, you don't have to be afraid to trust your unknown future to an all-knowing God. And, and we, can be, we can be good with that. I'm good with that. I, I don't know everything. And that's okay with me. And uh, it would be scary if I did know everything. I don't know everything God's up to. And I'm okay with that. I don't know what he's doing for the rest of my life. I know short term what he's doing. But, you know, God's got plans. He's, if, if you'd asked me 20 years ago if I'd be doing what I'm doing, or maybe 25 years ago, I'd have thought you were crazy. Because I was happy in... in, uh, in hospital world, you know, making money and stuff like that, and, and then God had a different plan, and so, but you've got to get to a point where you're okay with God knowing more than you. The third one, write this down, is God is ever-present. God is ever-present. He is always there. Now, that brings comfort. The, the theological word for that is omnipresent, omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. See, Jesus, when he was on earth, was limited to where he was. And, uh, and, and so, but when he left, you know, he took his Godhead back up after the resurrection. He was no longer limited to time and space. You know, when he, he could physically only be here. But, but see, God is everywhere all the time. He's here with you. People say, well, he's too busy to hear my request. No, he's not. He's everywhere all the time. He's answering every prayer at the same time. His brain is a whole lot more capacity than we have and that we could even imagine. And so he is ever-present. Listen, Hebrews 13, 5, God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So I say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? See, we have got to know that he will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And so if God's right here with me all the time, uh, you know, we're going to be okay. I did a sermon one time. I called it, if Jesus is in your boat, it won't sink. <laughs> it's kind of a corny title, but you know what? If Jesus is in your life, uh, you know, you might get wet in that boat, but you're not going to sink. And so if he's with you all the time, no matter what you're going through, God will see you through. He's ever present. God's close to the brokenhearted. Uh, you know, I've seen this over and over and over again. I've even uh, warned people, it's okay to feel good when you're going through it. I see people who are grieving, and all of a sudden something will make them happy, and then they feel guilty about being happy again. And that's okay. It's okay to, to, to move on emotionally like that. You're not betraying anybody. You just, you just sense God's presence so strong that he can make you feel good. Let me just give you some scriptures. These aren't in your notes. You might want to write these references down. Psalm 46.1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Isn't that cool? We can hide in God, a refuge and our strength. And, and he's, a, he's ever-present. He's always there to help us when we're in trouble. Psalms 139.8, write that one down. If I go up to the heavens, 
David said, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. What's that telling you? God is always with you no matter where you go. Isaiah 43, 2. He said, when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. With the way it flash floods around here, that's a good scripture to hold on to, y'all. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And so that's, those are good scriptures. That's Isaiah 43, 2. Make sure you write that down. Isaiah 43, 5. He said this, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. And so here again, do not be afraid. I am with you. Has that got a recurring theme to it? Another one, Jeremiah 1.8. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. You may be looking at overwhelming odds. God's saying, hey, I'm with you. Jeremiah 1.19. They fight against you, but will but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. There it is again. And then Jesus said this, and surely I am with you until the end of the age. Man, Jesus, right before he left, said, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 20. Make sure you write that down. Keep those scriptures. See, when I, write this down. When I know God is with me, I can face whatever's against me. When I know that God is with me, I can face what's against me. It's like if God is for us, who can be against us? And I told you Sunday, if God's for us, it really don't matter who's against us, right? You know, because when God's on your side, we're, we're going to be okay. So with God, when God is with me, when I know God is with me, I can face what's against me. And I want you to leave here tonight with assurance, not necessarily answers, but assurance that God is always with you. Now, I grew up in a church. We used to sing old-time hymns. I remember uh, our, we got a new choir director and piano player, and, and, uh, and there's, we're singing a hymn, and, and Mr. Pilkin then stopped them and said, stop, stop, stop. He said, honey, use your left hand. And man, from then on, hymns were a different level. They were fun. And, uh, and, and so we, we sang some hymns. I, I love hymns done well. I love what we do. Uh, I love it all. Uh, but but uh, a lady named Fanny Crosby she wrote over 8,000 hymns, and she lived to the age of 95. She's almost as old as my mama. And uh, she was blind after the first six weeks of her life. But one of her famous hymns was Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance. What a song. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. See, God's got me. Blessed Assurance. I won't sing it because I, I don't want you leaving out of here with your ears scarred. But uh, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste. Of glory divine. Heir of salvation. See, we're heirs of salvation. She knew she had hers. I want you to leave here with that same assurance, with blessed assurance. Look what Paul said to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12. He said, this is why I am suffering, yet I am not ashamed, because I know. See, he said, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him, for that day. See, G he knew Jesus was going to guard what he, his life that he had entrusted to him. So four things. Write down real quick. I want you to leave here knowing. One, I want you to leave here knowing that God loves you. God loves you. Guys, let me tell you, that sounds trite, but it's powerful. you got to know that God is on your side. He loves you. You know, if you were to come and, and if I were to go to God and I say, God, I'm your favorite, right? He'd say, yeah, Robert, you're my favorite. 
And then, and then Fred comes up and says, hey, God, I'm your favorite, right? And he said, yeah, Fred, I'm your favorite. And then Donna goes up and says, God, you know, I'm, I'm really your favorite, right? And he said, yes, you are. You're my favorite. <laughs> See, we're all his favorite. He loves us all. He loves us all. And, uh, and so Jeremiah, you know, he kind of complained, I mean, you know, uh, a lot. And he said this in Lamentations 3. He said, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. When you're going through a hard time, yet this I call to mind, and, th- and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Because of his love, whatever you're going through is not going to consume you, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And then look what he said, great is your faithfulness. There's another song. Great is your faithfulness. All right. Don't sing it. (laughs) Slap him. Slap him, Cheryl. Slap him. Second thing I want you to know. Second thing I want you to know. I want you to know that God wants what's best for you. God wants what's best for you. I mean, you know, some of y'all think God's a mean God. I mean, you might have grown up with an abusive dad or without a dad or something like that. And a lot of times we see God, we put our our parents on God. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a strict church or something when you were younger. And, and listen, God wants the best for you. He doesn't want you under his thumb. He doesn't want you to be a robot. He wants a good life for you. And so he wants what's best. So when he's telling you something, when the word of God speaks to you, he's wanting you to do that. Why? Because it works best when we do it. I saw Mitch reading instructions to something before church out in the lobby. Now, you know, how many guys, we don't like instructions, do we? How many of y'all read the instructions when you buy something new? Come on, be honest. One of you raised you to two, all right? And we always try and, and we mess it up first, then we go back and read the instructions, right? And so, you know, it just works best when you do the way the designer did it, and that's what God wants. Look, at Romans eight thirty one. if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Sunday I told you it don't matter who's against you, right? Since he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Think about that for a minute. If God is on your side, you know, Morris Bart does all those ads. I, I love commercials. He go, you know, one click, that's it, that's it. One call, that's all. Hi, I'm Morris Bart. I'm on your side. Here's what God says. Hey, I'm God, and I really am on your side. Uh, he wants what's best for you. In Romans 8, 35, it says this. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death, does it mean he doesn't love us? No, despite all these, all these things, Paul said, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loved us. He will bring us to victory through no matter what we're going through. See, God has the end in mind. We, see, um, we need to see things the way God sees them because we know God will determine uh, the end, and he sees the end, and, and it determines our relationship with God. Number three, write this down. I know that God has a plan for me. God has a purpose. Each one of you, in Hebrews we've been studying, that he has this path, this faith path that we're on, this race, Paul calls it. He's got a plan for each one of y'all, you know, and, and, and sometimes we just can't see what that plan is. And, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Kathy tells this story all the time about how eaglets, how the mama eagle gets the eaglets to leave the nest in that nice soft nest for a while, you know. And, uh, 
And then all of a sudden she starts pulling the straw out and gets it to where it's a little uncomfortable and they're more willing to jump out and learn how to fly, you know, and, and that's the way they do it. And, and some of us, sometimes God has to do that for us to get us to move to what he had to do. I remember when I went into hospital work, I loved it, loved it at first. By the time I left it, I hated it. Why? I got uncomfortable. What did God have to do? He had to get me to stop loving that to start loving this. And, uh, and, and so, you know, he will do that. Jeremiah said this. God says, I know the plans I have for you. He's got a plan for each one of y'all. Every single one of you. He's got a plan. And, and you know, some of, some of y'all have got a different past than I do. You can reach different people than I can that I will never reach. And then I can reach different people than you can. And so he said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See, God wants good things in your life. He wants good things for you. And, uh, and, and that's, why, that's, why we do, that's why we do dinner to make it easier for you to come here on a Wednesday night. That's why we do small groups. That's why we do different classes, things like that, to help you grow so that you can find God's purpose and plan for your life. Number four, write this down. I know God will bring me through. You need to know that. I heard a person one time say, well, I know God can do it. I just don't know if he'll do it for me. You need to know God will bring you through. Paul wrote this to Timothy. He said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Let me just tell you, I, I, you know, my mother lasted 99 years. She did really good. And, I mean, I'd, I'd peek in on her at night when I was uh, at her house, and she'd be reading her devotional for about an hour before she'd go to sleep. I thought she was going to sleep at 8 o'clock when she'd go to bed. No, she was reading her devotionals in her Bible. Uh, then she'd go to sleep. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, we've got to know that he's going to bring us safely to his kingdom. She lasted for a long time, and she did good, and, uh, and listen, he's going to bring us, but you know what, she's, even her at 99 years, she's got a lot more years in heaven than she'll ever have had on earth, because you see, in heaven, we've got eternity, we've got eternity, this is just but a vapor here, and what we do here kind of prepares us for that, but uh, you know, uh, we're going to be there a lot longer, and so he's going to bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So which one is he going to do? Let me tell you, it's a win-win situation with Jesus. Paul used to say, hey, look, if I die, I get to go to heaven. If I live, I'm living for Jesus. And so that's where we need to be. They told Paul, look. Matter of fact, they told him, hey, look, if you don't stop telling people about Jesus, we're going to cut your head off. He said, would you? He said, would you? I get to go to heaven. And, and, I mean, what do you do with a guy like that? You know, uh, you know, it's just not, you know, it's a win-win thing. I mean, he said, if I die, I just get to go be with heaven. But as long as I'm here, I'm telling people about Jesus. So y'all can figure out what you're going to do. And, and so, you know, that's the thing you need to understand. Write this last thing down. I know some of y'all will quit the church if you don't get these last two <laughs> little blanks. My struggles have a purpose and my pain has an end. God will use everything that happens in your life for your good. There's a purpose for it. He shapes you. He guides you. He directs you towards what he wants you to do. And every one of your ministers, you've got a ministry to do. And he's, he's shaping you for that 
Romans 10, 9, it said, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I want you to bow your heads real quick just for a minute. Got a lot of people in here, and so I want to give you an opportunity. If you've not received Jesus, that's where it all starts. That's where it all starts right there. See, his purpose includes you accepting him as his Savior. Jesus didn't come and hang on a cross. Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your power.